Pag hindi kayo sumuko, lalo kayong mapapasubo Baka tuluyan na kayong di matunton Hey there, my name is Mark Zavalia and welcome to the Sagittarian Project, a history podcast featuring readings of published works, digital or in print, on the dark years of Marcus's martial law in the Philippines. Today's reading will be about the dates surrounding the Declaration of Martial Law. The country officially remembers the said declaration every year on September 21. But on that day in 1972, things were still okay. Democracy was pretty much still functioning. So when did Marcos really announce the imposition of martial law and what was happening on September 21, 22, and 23, 1972? Before we get into our readings, I would like to thank everyone for a warm welcome to our brand new podcast. We are delighted to hear that you that a lot of you enjoyed listening to the first episode. I hope you consider subscribing so you can get notified when our semi-weekly episodes drop. Also, we would like to extend our thanks to Ateneo University Press for their immense help in starting this project and for spreading the word about our little history podcast. In the first episode, I mentioned that you can download a digital copy of The Conjugal Dictatorship from the website conjugaldictatorship.com. This copy is the 1976 edition, the first edition. The 2017 revised and annotated edition is only available in print and for sale at Ateneo Press, Web Store, and other select bookshops. One last thing. Other than Spotify, you can now also listen to the Sagittarian Project on Apple Podcasts. As we speak, we have also added the show on Google Podcasts, so you can check it out there soon. Now, to our readings for today. We shall start with a diary entry of Ferdinand E. Marcos, which you can find on philippinediaryproject.com. This is his entry, written 1.45 a.m. of September 22, 1972, but writing, he was writing about the events of September 21. 1.45 a.m. September 22nd, September 21, 1972, Thursday, Malacanang Palace, Manila. Delayed by the hurried visit of Joe Aspiras and Meling Barbero, who came from the northern bloc of congressmen and senators who want to know if there is going to be martial law in 48 hours, as predicted by Ninoy Aquino. Of course, Imelda and I denied it. But Johnny Ponce Enrile, General Paz, General Nanadiego, Kit Statad, and I, with Pisyong Tagmani doing the typing, finished all the papers. The proclamation and the orders, today at 8 p.m. Ambassador by road came to see me at 11.15 a.m. and was apparently interested to know whether there would be martial law. He seemed to favor it when I explained it is intended to primarily reform our society and eliminate the communist threat, but he suggested a proclamation before the American elections may be used by McGovern the Democratic presidential candidate as proof of the failure of the foreign policy of the present president. 
I told him I did not want it said that he was intervening in internal matters of the Philippine government and that no decision has been arrived at, but that I was under pressure and there seemed to be no other solution. He agreed that there seemed to be no other solution, but he told General Romualdez later this day when Kokoy went to see him that his impression was that martial law would be proclaimed after the elections. How he came to arrive at this conclusion, I can only guess. But this man cannot make logical deductions. I must be wary. He wanted Kokoy to go ahead and work in California for Nixon. There are 200,000 Filipino votes, and California is crucial. There seems to be a pipeline to Ninoy Aquino as he seems to know that the proclamation will be made this weekend. We have to check this. It is dangerous. Even the concon is agog with a speculation. End of entry. So, on September 21, things seemed to be a usual September day, but behind the scenes, they have already, quote, finished all the papers, the proclamation and the orders at 8 p.m. From the official gazette, we can read, quote, all accounts indicate that Marcos's obsession with numerology, particularly the number seven, necessitated that proclamation number 1081 be officially signed on a date that was divisible by 7. Thus, September 21, 1972 became the official date that martial law was established and the day that the Marcos dictatorship began. This also allowed Marcos to control history on his own terms. End quote. Now, we direct our attention to the events of September 22, 1972. Still, no declaration of martial law happened on this day. We will now read an excerpt from Chapter 3, Twilight of Democracy, from the book The Conjugal Dictatorship by Primitivo Mijares. Dusk was settling on the ancient city of Manila. With the sun that gives the oriental metropolis its most beautiful sunset, slowly sliding away behind the clouds beyond the historic Corregidor and Caballo Islands. The eastern horizon was aflame with layers of red clouds, a phenomenon that the Batangas farmer would undoubtedly interpret as a portent of heavy rains and stormy days ahead. Out in Project 6 of Quezon City where I resided, my immediate neighbors, Lolo and Lola Adarna, parents of former advertising sales girl Fanny Adarna, who now resides in New York City, beckoned to my youngest son, Luis Manuel, who was driving around on his mini motorcycle. In mixed Ilocano and Tagalog, the two old folks advised my boya to go home because they feared that something terrible was in the offing. Their gauge, or the basis for their superstitious belief, was the prolonged, mournful howling of dogs and the cackling of chickens in the neighborhood. The phenomenon observed by the elder Adarnas manifested itself almost throughout the country that afternoon. The setting sun over Manila Bay gave a snugness to President Marcos's private study at Malacanang that early evening of September 22, 1972. 
Marcos sat serene in his study, glancing occasionally at the bevy of red telephone receiver sets which linked his office to military camps all over the country. Marcos ordered Enrile in the following manner. Secretary Enrile, where are you? You have to do it now. Yeah. Yeah, the one we discussed this noon. We cannot postpone it any longer. Another day of delay may be too late. Continuing his orders, obviously after being interrupted with some remarks by Enrile, Marcos went on. Make it look good. Kailangan siguro ay may masaktan o kung mayroong mapatay, mas mabuti. Oh, hala, sige, Johnny. And be sure the story catches the big news and news watch. And call me as soon as it is over. The big news and news watch were popular news programs that aired every weekday at 8 o'clock in the evening. Both programs were axed from the air when martial law was declared and their representative broadcasting companies, ABN Associated Broadcasting Network and RPN Radio Philippines Network were closed down. As Marcos completed his phone conversation with Enrile, I could not stop the jitters over my body. I pondered the seemingly inextricable depth of cooperation I was extending Marcos on his irreversible course of action. At this stage, I felt some sense of guilt largely because weeks earlier, I had a lively discussion with my first three children, Perla and Pilita, who were then high school students at St. Teresa's, and Jose Antonio, also a high school student at Lourdes School. These schools were in Quezon City. All three of them and my youngest, Boyet, have mockingly called me a Marcos Tuta. They sang the tune that Marcos was an incompetent president who has not responded to the needs of the country for reforms. They said they were learning early in school and from schoolmates that the establishment which Marcos represents can no longer stem the tide of change and reform as demanded by intellectuals, professionals, businessmen, students, peasants, and laborers. Even the seminarians, priests, and nuns had joined the forces for change and progress, they said. The more proper subject of martial law was being dealt with by the upper chambers with Gid, Senator Benigno S. Aquino Jr. at the time. Aquino told worried senators and newsmen that he believed that Marcos had laid out plans and has finally decided to impose martial law. However, Ninoy expressed the belief that Marcos would not declare martial law until December 1972. Aquino said Marcos would not dare institute a military regime and run the risk of facing a hungry nation. Puyat had just adjourned the Senate session to enable members of the chamber to attend the various bicameral conference committee meetings scheduled for late that evening. Then, just as Aquino was saying his long goodbyes to the Senate reporters, an aide of the Turlock senator rushed to his side with a typewritten note. Upon reading the note, Aquino blurted, Here it is, boys. The Times reporter has just phoned in a story that Secretary Enrile's party was ambushed by a known gunman near some bushes along the Wakwak Golf and Country Club. The secretary was unhurt, but his white Mercedes-Benz car was riddled with bullets at the back. 
He was not inside his official car at the time of the ambush. No member of his party was hurt. And the report states that the check on slugs recovered from the bullet-riddled car showed that the ammo matched those recovered from the Goyo in Palanan, Isabela. This is it, boys. That guy Marcos must be escalating things. Let's go listen to Jose Marie Velez's uh, big news. Maybe we can have more details. I'll look into this and I will get in touch with you guys later. By this time, President Marcos was back in his study room in Malacanang after a nine-hole round of golf at the Malacanang Park. The big news top announcer Jose Marie Velez and Channel 9's Newswatch at 8pm have announced the news of Enrile's ambush. Soon, one of the phones rings, and Agent Bukiren, audibly excited, shouts simultaneously into the intercom to announce that Secretary Enrile was on the line. Picking up the ringing phone, Marcos says automatically into the receiver, Hello, Johnny, how did it go? Then, in answer to what evidently was a long verbal report, Marcos intones, Good, good. Okay, Johnny, implement my proclamation. And just in case any major problem crops up, don't hesitate to call me. Be sure you get Aquino, Jocno, and Roses. They must not get away. I will be up all night to monitor direct reports from other areas. Osige, Johnny, good luck. To which Enrile responded, Good night, sir. The president turned to the intercom once more and barked an order to Agent Bukiren. Get me General Ver. In no time at all, the president was talking to General Ver about the ring of steel that must be thrown around the palace. They reviewed the number of escape plans to be followed should the undertaking, which was just signaled by Marcos, go awry and require therefore Marcos's involuntary flight out of Malacanang or the country with his family and official retinue. Satisfied that the General's Presidential Guard Battalion could cope with any emergency, even that arising from any rebellious military unit, Marcos signaled the country's entire military establishment into full operation that night. With that signal, President Marcos let loose a shocker as he placed the entire Philippines under martial law. It was as sweeping as it was swift and shockingly fast. However, the truly shocking fact was that the act didn't seem to surprise the members of Congress, particularly the opposing Liberal Party leaders, lending credence to the belief that most of them knew about it. Perhaps the most worrying possibility of all has become reality, the possibility that politicians so engrossed in their politics of survival, including the employment of private armies and corrupt money-making ventures, have lost all control of themselves to resist the imposition of martial law. In my testimony before the Fraser Committee, I capsulized the initial days of the proclamation of martial law in the following words. President Marcos announced formally at about 8 p.m. on September 23, 1972, that he had placed the entire Philippines under martial law as of 9 p.m. September 22, 1972, by way of effective implementation of a martial law edict 
Proclamation Number 1081, which he had signed on September 21, 1972. Two months later, he told a convention of historians that he really signed the proclamation on September 17, 1972. The deceitful manner by which martial law was imposed on the Philippines by Marcos was so characteristic of the man who has learned to live by a gunslinger's credo of shoot first, explain later. Former Executive Secretary Rafael M. Salas once described the Marcos style as the evolution of two experiences. Salas said these are Marcos's experience with domestic politics in the Ilocos, where there are two methods, violence or money and his experience in Congress where there are really no rules. In short, any type of dissimulation or chicanery or bribery or coercion is applicable. That concludes our readings for today. I would like to thank Ateneo Press and the Miharis family for partnering with us in bringing parts of the conjugal dictatorship in audio form. We would also like to thank Manolo Quezon and the Philippine Diary Project for also giving us permission to use philippinediaryproject.com as one of this podcast's source materials. Thanks also to Gary Granada for the music on the show. It's a song called My Aro Rin Kayo from Lian, a Filipino musical. Thank you for listening to the Sagittarian Project. Please consider subscribing to this podcast to get notified when new episodes come out. See you in the next episode. Kapag hindi kayo sumuko, lalo kayong mapapasubo, makatuluyan na kayong di matunton. Kahit saan kayo magtago, kung may ulo ay may pako, makatuluyan na kayong maibaon.